Everybody says it starts with the academics, but for me, we're talking about playing soccer in college. And so it has to begin with how good of a player you are. That was college player pathway management and placement expert Don Williams. And he's the guest on today's episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome into another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today, I'll be joined by college player pathway management and placement expert, Don Williams. Don, thanks so much for joining us out in California here. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate the invite. Absolutely. I'm glad. Well, it's, it's 9 a.m. out where you are when we're recording this, but like you said, your day's getting started. You get the coffee ready to go, so we're, we're golden here. So, Don, we talked a little bit off the air. We, we, I, we follow you on Twitter, obviously, and you've got some great perspective on the game and what you do for a living and kind of your history, and I think it translates really well to, to players from all across the country, New England players, players who are looking into that college pathway and have visions of, of playing college soccer at some point in their life. Why don't we start off by you kind of explaining what you do for a living kind of on a daily basis here? I, yeah, look, everything that I do. So basically, I mean, if summarize in one word, we're agents for kids. We can help kids along the college and then the pro pathway, but it comes, all comes based out of, for me, my experience as a dad, my son played over in England, had a trial in the Bundesliga, played Division One soccer, coaches for a living. He's done that for his, that's his only career. It comes from, as a dad, watching all of that develop and watching all of that happen and trying to figure out what's, what's, what's right for my kid from a father's perspective. And then it, I coached for 30 years and I coached in the NCAA, I coached NAIA, I coached NCAA Division II, I coached Division Three. I coached junior college, and I ended up with a 30-year coaching career, 22 years of it in college, and then a short stint at the pro level. So seeing those thousands of players go through the system, seeing attitudes that worked right and methods that worked right and certain things worked better than others and watching players go through this and then combining all of together. I've been involved in soccer. It's my 52nd, 52nd year between playing and coaching and this. And so yeah, you, you see a lot, right? You see a lot. You meet a lot of people. I like to talk. I like to meet new people, go to conventions, meet, meet coaches, go to your coaching licenses, meet coaches, and you get different people's perspectives. Absolutely. So what we've done now is we've got to, we added it up the other day, 205 years of former college and pro coaches we have on staff. Wow. So we have 205 years of experiences, including three national championship trophies on staff as, as coaches and players and former pro players. But, but this ex, the idea that a group of like-minded people that are connected in the industry can be far more powerful than any one or two people can be on their own. And then utilizing those resources that all those people have in this 
massive country of ours, right? I think that's what most of the rest of the world, when they say what's wrong with the U.S. soccer system, it's like, we're really big. We're not England where you can hop in a car for or a train in Manchester and be down scouting in London and back over for dinner. Good luck doing that from New York to <laughs> California. Right. So it's so big, so massive, so much land to cover and so many people to cover. In order to help players understand who they are, you have to see them play. In order to see them play, you have to do a lot of traveling. Coaching staffs have, they used to have, well, the big division one schools used to have four coaches on staff. The fourth was a volunteer assistant. Of course, the NCAA in their infinite wisdom said you can have no more volunteer assistants. They must be paid. And then schools go, well, we don't have $2 million to fund all of these fourth assistant positions. So we'll just dump them. So college coaches, the staffs have three, maybe four people to go and cover the entire work. And they are. We just just did an event in Kenya and we had two college coaches go down there. We're going to do an event in Columbia. We've got four college coaches traveling to Columbia. Well, college coaches are traveling all over the world, but they're trying to use their resources of limited money, limited staff, limited time. And so what we're doing is trying to do the job of an assistant coach that schools don't have to pay for. Right, right. Or the families have to pay for it. Right. And coaches don't have to pay. And the name of the organization is Sports Recruiting USA. And how how old is the organization? How long have you been been with them for? Well, the organization started in 2010, the same year that I began at a junior college up in California in the mountains. Same town I live in, but town of 5,000, county of 20,000, two stoplights in the whole county. Wow. Uh, middle of nowhere, Sierra Mountains, California. And I, there was no, there's nothing to recruit here. They have like quit soccer and ice. There's no club here. There's no nothing. So I had to go worldwide. I had to branch out if I wanted a competitive team. And Sports Recruiting USA was one of the international companies that we recruited from. And they were the people I liked the most. Their kids were more prepared. They were more honest as a company. They were more open to us as a junior college speaking to even their better players. Other companies would play gatekeeper and no, you can't talk to that kid. That kid's going to go division one. I don't care if you're the best path. That's what the kid's going to go division one. That type of division one, D1 or bust attitude, we call it, existed with a lot of other companies, did not exist with this one. So when I retired in 2018, the owner, Chris Cousins, asked me to come in with him and we became partners. So I run the Americas and he runs the rest of the world. Right. Now you mentioned that that D one or bust attitude, and that's something I've I've talked about too. And it it's something that players from around the world are, are dealing with. Everybody who's a top notch soccer player or views themselves as an elite level soccer player has those visions of of playing Division one soccer. So you know, for our listeners, a lot of New England soccer players here aiming aiming to play at the best level they can. How do you? What are those conversations like with players who who want to be a Division One player but kind of need to rid themselves of that D one or bust mentality and kind of open their open their mind up to to other possibilities? Look, this all depends on how good you are as a soccer player. Is is where it has to start. If we're talking about playing, everybody says it starts with the academics. It starts with the what you want to do for a living. And it's for some kids that's one hundred percent true. For other kids, it's not. But for me, we're talking about playing soccer in college. And so it has to begin with how good of a player you are. 
So we just had a girl commit to Baylor University. She was on it. She had eight, nine different Division One offers, all very high level. Plays with the Canadian National Development Team Center in the Ottawa. Very close to, just a stud. Very close to making the Canadian Youth National Team. I'm predicting with the next three years, she'll be on the, the, the under 20 national team. She's that good. She, mm-hmm. She's that solid. So she has no problem. She can get what she wants. Her grades were good. Dad could pay for it. They had a good budget. She can have what she wants. So she doesn't have to stray away. I wasn't a D1 school in the country that I was ashamed to represent her to as a player that I thought could impact them. Right, right. Now, when yeah. you're talking about the up, most of the kids, are, she is in the 1%, by the way. She's in the 1% or less than 1% of the players in the world that are good enough to get whatever they want. Now, the other 99 point whatever percent, different story. Mm-hmm. They're playing with these kids that are in the top 1%. Therefore, I'm playing with these kids. Therefore, I deserve what they get, except you're not that kid. You don't play like that kid. You don't have the athleticism of that kid. You don't have the skills of that kid. You don't have the tactical understanding of that kid. Just because you're playing with that kid that's going to UNC doesn't mean that you also now deserve to go into UNC. And that's the disconnect that I see happening across the country and even across the world. So how, so let me just jump in real quick there. So how much is, I mean, I always say in life in general, self-awareness is an underrated skill set. I mean, just knowing, know, knowing what you are, where you belong. Self-awareness, self-awareness might be the most valuable skill set. I'm so loose. Amongst human beings. But how, Absolutely. how important is it to have real, realistic voices in players' heads and just real conversations and not just, filling players' heads with, with stuff that might not actually be accurate. It, it's really important to have somebody who has no skin in the game. Sure. Coaches, your club coaches have skin in the game. It's very important to their livelihood and possibly career moves that they make everybody happy. That they don't have people walking around and going, yeah, yeah, you, you don't know what you're talking about. So I keep, as a club coach, it's hard to go to a kid and go, look, I know that I saw your list of schools. No way you're playing at any of those schools ever. Never right. happened. Right. But that's not what's happening. So what's happening is the worst piece of advice that I've ever heard in a history of college coaching advice is, is this. Pick the schools that you want to go to, that you are interested in. And then write those schools and then go to their camps and then they'll find you. Oh, so the kids go, okay, let's see, Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, North Carolina, Kentucky, Notre Dame, Florida, Florida. State. What they're doing is just grabbing the top schools in the world, either U.S. News Report in your area of New England, going down south into middle of Virginia. And then maybe a little over to Pennsylvania, a little east. But that group mm-hmm. of, of schools, I mean, of, 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 of players, a large group of those, they want to go to Amherst and they want to go to Princeton and they want to go to Ivy League. You have in your area the most incredible, the largest conglomeration of incredible academic schools on planet Earth exists in the New England and going south area, right? Right, right. So, Clearly, that's what's on a lot of kids' minds. So 
we always said, we, we have guests. I have a guy named Steve Rollins who lives in Princeton, New Jersey, super connected in all of that area with all of those coaches, one of our staff. We are guessing it's a, you guys are about like 10% of the United States. Yeah. That feels like academics supersede the soccer, that they really get the academics piece. Now, here's the problem. Every kid in the world also has that U.S. News and World Report list. It's not only available to the players in New England. So the kids in, in, in Santa Clara, California also want to go to Princeton, also want to go to the Ambers. If they're of that mind that my career is going to supersede my soccer. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to utilize soccer to get me into a school that I may or may not be able to get into otherwise. Right. Right. Now, I also say that's a dangerous game to play because if your grades can't get you in and you're expecting your soccer to get you in, then you better be one of the best soccer players. In the right. Right. So you're in the same boat as a player, as the kid who's saying, I want to go to Stanford. I want to go to North Carolina. You're in the same boat. You're still taking your soccer skills and not properly assessing them. You think just because Amherst is division three, that they're not that good. or Johns Hopkins is not that good. You're a fool. You have no idea what you're talking about. You think just because it's Division three, it's not very good. And therefore, they must need me because I play with the kid who's going to North Carolina. Well, that's why I wanted to, I wanted to actually was going to be my next question to you, that how much have you seen the, I guess, the stigmas against Division three soccer that it's, oh, it's it's D3. It's it's not D1, but but. I see a lot of athletes who are coming to the realization now that like, okay, I can't play D1. I'm a borderline D1 player. I could probably play D2, but I'm going to go D3 because it's a better academic institution. And it's probably made the D3 game better in the last decade or so. But how much have you seen Division Three soccer just improve and just really get to the point where you need to be in an, uh, still an, an excellent player to play at that level? Whereas before, people might have thought, ah, I can just go play D3. It's no biggie. Yeah, well, look, it's 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 gotten better. Here, here's what happens, though. Okay, so Division One has this. At some point, at every division, there is a massive drop off in talent. Mm-hmm. So women's soccer, what three hundred eighty five to eighty two? I don't. Know. Number changes all the time as schools going in and out of business, but it's something like that. And then men's soccer is about a hundred less than that on Division One. And you get to a point where the bottom 75 schools, 100 schools in women's soccer are not very good. There becomes a drop-off. And then men's soccer, somewhere in the top bottom 50, 75, not very good. Division two, that drop-off starts earlier in the numbers. So there's less high-quality schools than there are. I mean, what was Charleston Division two beat? Marshall Division One, the year after Marshall won the national championship, and everybody goes, "See, did you can beat D one? Absolutely!" And it was an equal game, and they competed, and two coaches who coached together and know each other very well, and recruit similar players and the similar teams. And but we're talking about the best teams, and we're talking about two national champions going head to head. And if you throw the Division three national champion in there, and the NAIA national champion in there. And maybe even the junior college national champion there, you'd have a hell of a little tournament. That's great. You're talking about the top schools in the country. When you get to Division Three, the drop-off starts faster and steeper mm-hmm. and dives way lower 
at the bottom. So the bottom division three and junior college and NAI schools in the country would be smashed probably by the bottom division one school. Because the dropout of talent and athleticism is steeper and quicker at the division three levels. So what you and I are really talking about, what most people want to talk about is the top 10, 20 schools in the country division three. Can they compete with some of the division one schools in the country? And the answer is yes. What's you mentioned kind of some of the, the bad advice you've heard people give or coaches give or things such as where, where do you, where are your top five schools? Where do you want to go? What are kind of the main lines of advice you would give to kids or what are a couple of things that you, that you think should be in their mind? Clearly obvious, obvious things that they need to be thinking about while they're starting this kind of this recruitment journey. I'm going to stay away from everything that has to do with our company and giving that advice. I'm going to assume somebody's never heard of SRUSA, yeah. any other company, and it gets no outside help. What would a family do if they're going to completely do it yourself? Right? Right. First thing is, is go see soccer games at the levels that you want to see. Get your butt out there and see them. Television does not do any game justice. I'm watching the NBA playoffs and the hmm. guy goes to the guy who's seven foot two and I go, he doesn't look seven foot two on TV. <laughs> right. I was shocked the first time I wrote a Warriors game and went down to the floor and watched them warp. I said, these guys are behemoths. Oh, yeah. Monsters. Unbelievable. Yeah. So same same in soccer, right? You cannot appreciate the, the, uh, the pace of that winger at Stanford until you go see her in person. And then she blows by you and you go, I could never, I couldn't keep up with that on my e-bike. That right. is unbelievable. The girl's running 20 miles an hour. She's unbelievable. And then you'll understand that you are far from that level. So go see games in person is my first bit of advice. Television's great. You should watch ESPN Plus allows us to watch every conference in the country at Division One. So and then YouTube is is a godsend for these kids. Just YouTube the name of the school. You will find games that that's great. Or on the big screen, that's great. And see games in person. And camps don't do it. I hate when kids come back from camps and they go. I was voted the best player at the camp. And then they're waiting for the phone call. No, no. You're the best player amongst a bunch of players who don't know how to play soccer. You're not playing with the team. Generally. You're not playing with the team. So you're the best player amongst the players who aren't very good. Doesn't, Doesn't get you recruited. You have to be better than at least the number. A coach is looking for a player that can be one through 15, one through 16, one through 18. At least travel with the team your freshman year. At least give us minutes when we need you. If somebody's injured or somebody's not doing well, somebody comes down with the flu, somebody gets whatever. So we are we are looking for those players who can impact our problem. There's no coach in the country who needs another number 30 on their roster. Right. That number 30 doesn't help me now. You're only as good as my number 30. And they go, yeah, yeah, but that person, I'm just as good as them. You're as good as somebody who's also not playing. You understand that? Coaches want players who can play for them, not players who can sit the bench. So going and seeing these schools in person is the first thing that, that you have to do. Then you have to figure out what your priorities are. So my son's priorities were soccer, number one, probably soccer, number two. Soccer was probably number three, <laughs> and school was probably number four. Yeah, I think he had a sub 3.0 GPA in high school. Why? Because he only needed to be able to get into Sonoma State, who was the national champion. 
division two national champs. That's all he needed. That's all he wanted. That's what he was looking for. Then when later, when John Kerr at Harvard contacted my son and asked for his transcripts, John called me and laughed. Why are you laughing? He goes, his grades are never going to get to Harvard. I said, you didn't even ask me what his grades are. You said, Don, I'm interested in son, send me his transcripts. So I did. <laughs> Your fault. You didn't ask the right questions. And I love John. And I'm not capping on right. John. I just, you know, because I'm laughing. And my son's response was, if I had known someday that Harvard would come calling for me, I could have gotten better grades. I didn't, I had no idea. Right. So figuring out what your priorities are, by the way, and it's no surprise, my son's still a soccer coach at 38, nine. So he loves the game so much he cannot give it up. That's his priority, right? Another player's priority I just helped, she called me and says, I want rockets. I want to send rockets into space. Rocket science is what I want to do. I'm in the rocket club. I'm in every science class. I'm very smart. I'm very good. And so for her was Embry-Riddle to go study rocketry, one of the best rocketry programs in the world. And so that's where she's going. But so for every player, you have to see if you can help them figure out what they're trying to get out of their collegiate experience. Sure. That, I mean, that makes difficult. Sense. I didn't right. know until 32, Matt, what I wanted to do with my life. I had no idea. Right. We're asking these kids at 18 to make a 60-year decision. Right. I mean, sometimes they're they're making that decision at 16. So it's, it's crazy. 17. And it's, yeah. and it's stupid. It's right. ridiculous. Us as adults have no sense of remembering when we were kids. We right. forget all about our past. We take all of our current 40, 50, 30, 40, 50 years of knowledge. And right. then we go, this applies to kids. You should get this now, even though we as adults didn't get it. Right. We forget sure. that, right? We right. forget we we were driving in the car this past weekend, my family, my my oldest son was in the back seat, and he said, he was asking me about kids going, he's only 11, and he was asking me about the scholarships and committing and stuff like that, and he said, and he's like, so when can kids actually, like, commit to a school? And I'm like, well, they, like, the kids who, this June 15th, these kids who are sophomores in high school, they're June 15th of this year, they'll be rising juniors in high school, they can make, they can make a decision and commit somewhere. My wife was, what was shocked. She's like, you're telling me sophomores in high school are deciding their feel like isn't that nuts and i go it's just the way business is done right now i mean players are deciding their college future before they even hit their junior year before their junior year even starts or they're even driving before right. they've even started dating before right. they've even figured out who they are before they've even take taken the upper level high school type courses to figure out if they're good at trigonometry or not or good at calculus or good at whatever. right right they don't even know yet what they want to do. And then we're telling them, make a decision that's going to affect the next 50 years of your life. Right. At 16. And it's the stupidest, stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's re absolutely ridiculous. Plus then they're committing to coaches who end up being at, taking off to another school and the new coach goes, who are you? Right. And a spillover from all this, which was going to be my, the next thing I wanted to ask you about is the transfer portal, because you're seeing transfer transfers and all Collegiate sports through the roof right now. The numbers, I mean, the numbers in basketball this year are, are nuts that, I, that I've seen on Twitter. The soccer transfer portal is, is also filled every year. And like you said, it's a lot of times because of coaching changes. It's sometimes because a player made that decision, got to a school and realized it wasn't the right fit. But how do you feel about the transfer portal? Is it, is it out of control? Is it good for the athletes? I mean, what's kind of your general thoughts on it? Okay, so they always say it's the best thing and it's the worst thing all at the same time. Because what used to happen was that coaches 
pre 2019, I think the coaches used to be able to, my son went through this process, by the way, the head coach left, things were great. Head coach left, new coach came, it takes over their relationship changed. So you co- new coach used to be a goalkeeper coach. The relationship changed with this coach being a head coach. And he said, I want to explore. So you used to go to the coach and the coach then, then goes to compliance and they generate a piece of paper and then you sign it and coach signs it and the AD signs it. And then you could send that out. You could fax that out to coaches all across the country that you wanted to talk to. And they had to see that in order to be able to recruit you. Well, an AD or a head coach could go, I'm not signing it. In which case there was an appeals process, you know, takes three, four months and also now it becomes acrimonious. It's like going to court and you're trying to fight them and they're trying to fight you and it has to go through a board. Well, who wants to go through that? So players were just gutting it out. And sometimes an unhealthy environment or an environment that they got themselves into where they were way over their head, which is the most common reason for transfer. We can point to the kids moving up and we go, yeah, yeah, but that's that's the kid who's an All-American. Well, we still kids, you, my clients, if you want, if you start out at whatever, Division Two, Division Three junior college, NAIA, and then your ultimate goal is to play at a power five school, be an All-American. That's the, that's, that's the path, be an All-American. Because those power five schools are shopping the All-American list. They're shopping the All-Regional list. They're shopping the All-Conference list. If you're the fourth best player on your third place Division two team and you're trying to go to Stanford, you have no sense of reality. Right. So, so right. That's the bad. So the transfer portal stopped coaches from being able to block kids from going, that's good. That's good. But now kids can go, I only played a couple hundred minutes my freshman year. I want to play all the time. I want to be a starter like I was on my youth team. I want to be a star like I was in high school. This isn't really experience. It's a lot of work for not much playing time. I'm just going to transfer. So, inst- so instead of us teaching kids resiliency, instead of teaching kids delayed, the art of appreciating delayed gratification, which is probably my number one problem with our current system, youth and college, is this idea and life is the fact that we are eliminating delayed gratification. I used to have to wait, go to the library, look up 99.1.2, go find it on the shelf, go grab it, look it up. It might take me a week to get there, get the information that I want. But man, it sure felt good when I got that. Yep. It's everything. But now um, it's all here. And now with chat GBT with AI, it's there's no waiting for anything. Kid can, kids will be, essays have to go away. They have to go away. Essay writing, half paper writing, has to be eliminated because there's no way that these kids are learning anything. Teachers are going to have to figure out new ways to teach these kids. So I take that and I apply that to soccer and I say, these, this generation with all the miracles that we have and how great hopefully the world will be with AI also creates this idea that I don't have to wait for anything. I don't have to work long-term for long-term goals anymore. Everything can be available to me now, whether that is true or not, Matt, whether it's true or not. And it's, I think most of us adults know it's probably not how it's going to work out. And it's probably not true. 
and you probably still have to work. But kids are coming out of college now and they want the corner office next to Bill Gates with a $1 million contract, $7 million in stock options. And they want that straight. They don't want to start in the mailroom and then become the best guy in the mailroom and move up to sales and become the best guy in sales and move up into programming and become the next guy, best guy in that and move up to that and build a career. We would rather just go, yeah, I don't like it here. I'm just going to switch jobs. Yeah, I'm still like it here. I'm just going to switch jobs. I don't like it here. I'm just going to switch jobs. Uh, which is fine. Look, my grandfather built a career out of that too, 70 years ago. Just this job, that job, a little here, a little there. Fine. He had a great life and a great family. There are multiple ways to do things in life. But when we have the, the vast majority, I was going to say the totality, that's not true, but the vast majority of a group growing up that doesn't understand that things don't always come to you immediately. I don't know. Why are we having mental health issues? And, and so the, Good side of the portal is that kids can just, hey, find out where you sit. Mm-hmm. You'll know. You'll know. There are coaches shopping a portal. There are, as of this morning, checks from a college coaching buddy. Uh, it's up over, women are up 700 over pre-May 1st. So then the second transfer window opened up May 1st and it goes through May 3rd. Any kids that enter after May 15th will have to sit out a year. Any kids that enter January, February, March, April have to, if they were going to play Division One, have to sit out a year or Division Two, have to sit out a year. But kids that entered, enter between this May 15th, first 15th deadline transfer window will be able to play next year. So it was 2,200 men, 1,400 women. We've grown by 400 men and 700 women in one day. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, and it's going to be, the numbers just seem to be increasing every year too. I mean, it's just, it's, they, it's a lot. They are increasing every year. Yeah. And by the way, you all can Google the stats. Yeah. You can't get into the current numbers, but you can see last year's, you can just Google NCAA soccer transfer portal statistics. It'll pop up. Last year, men's soccer at May 1st was 1431. It grew to 2224. Women were at 989 and it grew to 1439. And it's growing a little bit every year. And this year it blew up. I just think it's an easy out for some kids. Just an easy out. Yeah. Just the amount, as I talked to one of my girls who's going to be transferring, she had some minutes out of Division One last year. And she was so honest with herself and me. She said, the mountain's too high, don't It's just too high. I can see it now. The mountain's too high. I just want to finish my career where I'm appreciated, wanted, and needed. And I say, holy crap, that is the most adult 20-year-old statement I've ever heard. That is very self-aware. And I'm so proud of a player saying things like that. And I'm also really proud of the kids who go, you know what? I had a fun youth soccer career. I'm just ready to focus. I'm not going to feel an obligation to go play in college because my parents spent 50000 on me over the last 10 years of my career traveling all around the country. Mm-hmm. So I've got this warped sense of obligation to my parents about my life and what they want me to do. And I'm going to go play in college. And there's a reason why 50% of the girls last year, 60% of the boys never made it off the portal. I am convinced that a huge chunk of those kids didn't ever really want to, they got into college soccer and go, it's not for me, not for me. So when you say, tell mom and dad that, 
So what I'll do is I'll say, things aren't going good here. I'm not appreciated. I'm not loved. I'm not wanted. I'm never going to play here. Let me go to the portal. And then they just reject every offer that comes out of the portal. Goal. No, not the right fit. Not the right fit. Not the right fit. You know what, mom and dad, I'm just going to stay here at school if it's okay. Because nobody else really wants me to play. That's so it's, it's an yeah. easy out for kids. And I don't blame, honestly. How do you walk up to your parents and go, hey, thanks for all the investment and the time, and I'm not interested in it. Right, right. That's, that's, that's great, great insight. That's exactly what the answer I, th- I thought you'd give very in-depth. And I, I think that, that shines light on just the mentality that, that players need to think, have in mind for when they're going through this process. It's the end of regulation, so let's move to Extra Time. Now we're going to turn to our extra time segment where we, we mentioned to you off air, Don, you wanted to stick around for it. Should be good. We're going to get three mystery questions from our producer, David Yaz, about the world of soccer that Don and I are, are both going to try to answer as best we can. So, David, you can fire away. Are you sure that Don knows what he's got himself into here, Matt? Don strikes me as a guy who's prepared okay. for anything. <laughs> no idea. The golden voice of Dave. Thank you. Oh, well, go on. Go on. (laughs) So here we are. Extra time. Three questions for Matt and Don. Question number one. And Don, you get to go first. You're the guest. Here's the question. When you attend a game, what part of the experience is unique to soccer? So attending a sports event, you go to see a soccer game. What what are you going to get at a soccer game that you simply won't get at other sports? No, I have no idea what I was getting into. I told you not to ask me questions. <laughs> what is wrong with you, Dave? It's a fancy way of asking, what do you like about soccer? Come on. Oh, you know what? It is phenomenal to me walking out to a complex of 26 fields and watching these kids and families go, you can't get that in basketball, can't really get, kind of get that in volleyball, I guess, sort of. But the indoors creates a different environment. Don't really get, don't get it in baseball, do you? Don't get it in football. Don't get it in any other sport. I see all of these fields and all of these families and all of these kids coming together in a community is amazing to me. And I love it. I, I have a people watcher anyways. And so <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm just mesmerized by all of the different personalities of coaches and parents and how some scream and yell and some cheer and some sit quietly in the corner. It's amazing to me. I can't think of another environment in sports or youth sports that like a massive soccer complex at a tournament. That's a tough act to follow there, Matt. Do you have an answer? Oh, this is going to be tough. I can vouch for that, that answer though, as, as well. Having been to some of these showcase events where there's a sprawling complex with 25 different fields and matches on every field and 300 college coaches around and families there and just the, 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 the pressure that the, the families are feeling, hoping their, their, their child gets noticed by these coaches, the, but still also the smiles on faces. It is, it is unbelievable. I, I just think the thing that comes to my mind with soccer is just the continuity of the game. And just, I, I just think how it just really, it really just never stops. It just goes and go, until halftime and then the next half goes and, Oh, there are whistles, obviously, in soccer, and, and people talk about the flopping and the trying to draw fouls and whatnot. But I just think that the continuity of the game, when you get there, it's just the action just goes. And I, the, the thing that people can't grasp, I think that people who don't watch a lot of soccer can't grasp, is the whole 
it's funny that, that we're doing this extra time segment, but the extra time aspect of soccer, of really not knowing when the half is going to end, except for the referee on the field, who under, who knows when it's going to end. And kind of when you're in a tight game and you're it's a tie match and we're, we're in extra time and all of a sudden there's another three minutes on the on the on the on the clock. I think that's great. I think it's one of the great elements of soccer. The most exciting roller coaster feelings as a player and as a coach I've ever had in my life. Hey, right. And people is it, that final five minutes, man. It, it is it's so much fun and painful, and I freaking love it. Right. And like you don't get that in baseball. If a game's going to extra innings, you know there's going to be an extra inning and then there'll be another extra inning. But you don't, soccer, you don't know until it hits that 90th minute. You know, his four more on the clock. And I think that's a great, a great element of soccer. I, I agree. By the way, do you know what? You mentioned flopping. What? Do, most people don't understand why pro players flop and roll around so Well, tell us. <laughs> They're exhausting, dude. <laughs> Try to get a break. That's the absolutely. It's, it's a chance to get your crap together. Everybody gets a little bit of water, and you'll notice that there are strategic moments when, look, they're really fouled and they're really knocked down, first of all. For sure. The, the, how much, sure, we all try to flop in the box, and you try to get the call, and might get booked for it, might get the call, all that. But the stuff in the middle of the field, the reason they're staying down a lot of times, they are, you try running 90 minutes with no minus. <laughs> You try putting in seven, eight miles where you sprint, run, stop, sprint, run, stop, backward sprint, run, sideways stop, and it never ends. And you're mentally exhausted. Hmm. You're physically exhausted. You give everything you want. Now you're getting knocked down and somebody expects you to pop back up like you're fresh in the first minute of a game. They've never played the game. They've never played the game at a high level. I'm not talking about moms and dad, co-ed, rec soccer. I'm not that I'm makes- playing at the highest levels in the world. That's why the majority of the players go down, stay down and milk it. They're exhausted and they're trying to get their wits back. That makes sense because that that actually happens in American football where the defense is gassed and you'll see a guy go down. Oh, oh yeah. My, oh, my leg. Oh, my leg. <laughs> yeah. All right. Question number two. In the U.S., we have many soccer teams who have nicknames, of course. D.C. United, Chicago Fire, New England Revolution. Less common in Europe, although... I, it seems to be less common in the U.S. these days. But anyway, is there a re, is there a good pro or con here? Matt, we'll start with you. Should soccer teams have nicknames? I not? think I think I mean I'm sick of the whole FC thing. I don't know how how Don feels about FC FC. Mm, I mean everybody's yeah. yeah. I mean the, the revolution that was there when they're great when they changed their logo and they went through the rebranding. Their their line in their rebranding was not another FC. I mean, they're not changed. They're staken by that New England Revolution owning name, it, yeah. owning it, not becoming another FC, which I loved. I thought it was, it was funny. It was, it was a nice jab at, at the soccer world with the whole FC and SC. And I say it all the time. My issue with soccer is sometimes soccer can't get out of its own way with its pretentiousness. And I think that FC thing gets a little annoying to people. I, they like nicknames would do a lot, at least in this country, if we're trying to, to bring in. Uh, the viewer who may not understand soccer, maybe kind of wanting to stick st- stick one foot in on soccer, but doesn't want to stick both feet in. Nicknames, are, we like them in this country. <laughs> and I think they, they go we along. We like them in other countries. Look, I'm an Arsenal fan. We're Gooners, right? right. <laughs> we love the Gunners. We're, we're Gooners. We're, we have them in other sports all over the world. Right. Like, I'm just trying to think to the top clubs in the world. Like, Ajax doesn't really talk about it's Ajax. That's the... Yeah. But when England, I mean, there's the hammers and they'll mention the hammers on TV and they'll, they'll go by it. 
Now, my, my, by the way, my MLS team was maybe the worst. I don't know. Can you think of a worse one than a scorpion and naming your team the Clash? <laughs> What's the connection here? What are you doing? What a horrible marketing. Why they didn't go straight to the earthquakes straight off the right. right. I don't know, but never have I seen a worse marketing idea than I would love to have been in that meeting, by the way. It must have been the same group that came up with the banana slugs at Santa Cruz. Oh, boy. Right down the road. Must Certainly. have been the same group. What a great, what a great meeting that must have been. Well, I mean, it, it's a thing. What's going to instill fear in our opponents? Let's think. The banana slugs. That right. might do it. I'll I put don't one. like picking those things up. Believe me, I don't like them. <laughs> the nickname and a logo goes a long way. I For mean, sure. it goes a long way in, 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 in enforcing or bringing in interest agree. fan base yeah, re- i agree it's an identification of your club as a unique organization right yeah it it revived minor league baseball here you remember in the in the 90s and aughts perhaps that every minor league team had a cool mascot oh, yeah. hat, t-shirt and they sold like wildfire oh you wear hats yeah, yeah. I, 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 kid, they were weird and fun the kid would show up to high school the hat i'm like what what the hell yeah. team is that oh this is the uh, the colorado rockies double a affiliate and i'm yeah. like what <laughs> how do you it's just a cool logo. Yeah, My God, that works. Exactly. My favorite was the Lansing, Michigan lug nut because their mascot was the big, the big lug. Right. That's okay. awesome. Final question for extra time. What athletic skill is overrated and or underrated when it comes to soccer? So talk basic athletic skills and Donya, the perfect person to ask for this. So what say you? Under, underrated, underrated. Underrated. Probably first touch. Hmm. The first touch of our players throughout the, I mean, everybody says how important it is, but it's not demonstrated by what I see on the fields. Hmm. It's not demonstrated by watching game. And so the ability of a player to be like Velcro hmm. with that ball is, is completely not enough juggling or wall work going on in this country. And they're not enough tight spaces playing. They're, the balls play far too softly to players' feet because the player doesn't have the ability to receive the ball. I always told my players, it's not your job to give the player the ability to receive the ball so much as it is to get it to the correct foot with the proper pace and the proper nuance of what that ball requires. But if you have to zip it in at 40 miles an hour to their right foot, they should be able to receive that if it's on the floor. Right? Not to their shins, but on the floor. So I would say first touch underrated. Why don't you go next, Matt, and then we'll talk about overrated. (laughs) You know what? I like that underrated. I can give you an overrated one. I think a goalkeeper's punt is an overrated. I've been to so many games. I mean, not so much at the professional level, but at the younger levels, kids will see a goalkeeper punt the ball to half field and be in awe of that goalkeeper. I just started my son's youth game last week. And I mean, yeah, that punts to half field, but it's a 50-50 ball for anybody to grab and go back the other way. So it's a, it's a, it's like a loud, it's like a 500-foot home run or a 380-foot home run. They're all, the, I mean, they're all the same. I the Goalies who can play, put a ball 50 feet with their foot on somebody else's foot. Yeah, that's great. But these punts that travel far distances, I think a lot of kids get wowed by them, but it's really just serving up a 50-50 ball. I don't see a ton of value in that. It's just loud at the, at the youth levels. Well, being a goalkeeper coach, I'm going to be, I'm going to agree with you on one, but 
I'm picturing the ball you're talking about, which is right. what I call a falling ball. Right. It's as high as you can go. It's as far as you can go. Exactly. You have no idea where it's going. Exactly. Right. Now, now I'll be that guy and go, <laughs> yeah, but were you watching Man United this weekend with goalkeeper to Holland to the chest, holding the balls, one flick in his goal? Right. So, I always say a goalkeeper punting the ball should be a pass. Yes. If it's not a pass, you're just as bad as everybody else. Right. It's, it's just, just a waste, catching balls as wasted possession. Totally. Yeah. So you're 100% right. I just want to be that guy for a second. Oh, that's great insight. I appreciate that. <laughs> Overrated. And, and most of the world, by the way, will say athletic athleticism at the youth level is overrated. Yeah. If mm-hmm. we were to do a poll and we were to say what's more overrated, punts or whatever else you can come up with and you put put and athleticism will come up and it always irks me because generally those are parents of unathletic kids who have tried to make up for their unathleticism by having more skill right right all the skill is great all the skill one of the best players i ever coached skill wise was slower than a turtle towing a track (laughs) (laughs) Get her five yards of space, and she would destroy you. Right. Every sense of the game. Problem is, she could never get five yards of space because she could never get separation. Well, congratulations. You both have successfully negotiated the three questions here in extra time. You've received scores of 10, 10, and 9.6 from the Brazilian judge for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) High standards in Brazil. But but, uh, well done, Don. Well done, Matt. Matt, back to you. Thanks, David. That was a blast as always. And thanks for Don to stick around for that segment. It's always great to have the guests involved in that. And Don, we really appreciate you taking the time and joining the podcast from out on the West Coast here. Thank you very much. Big fans. And I'll continue to follow you guys on Twitter and social media too. Excellent. Sounds great. Thanks again. Thank you. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Gold Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media Production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.